Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, everyone. I'm really excited to be here today. This is the first episode of the new season of episodes since the last one aired back in May of this year, 2022. I've got some really amazing guests lined up over the next several weeks. A couple of them have been interviewed before on the show and backed by popular demand because their episodes were so well received. I thought I'd have them again talking more about the topics that they are experts in, as well as some really great new guests that I'm really looking forward to meeting and talking with. If you're enjoying the content of Mind Tricks Radio, I'd really appreciate if you could like and subscribe on the various different platforms that you're listening to and leave a great review if you like what you're hearing. It's really helpful feedback for me to know that there are people out there that are benefiting and enjoying the content and the guests that I'm interviewing. And so we're kicking off today with Dr. Bernard Golden, a clinical psychologist in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Golden has been a psychologist for over 40 years. He has worked in a variety of settings, including a community mental health center, psychiatric hospital, schools, outpatient centers, and private practice groups. He founded Anger Management Education in 1994 and offers classes, counseling workshops, and consultation regarding anger and conflict management. He's written several books, including Overcoming Destructive Anger, Strategies That Work, Healthy Anger, how to help children and teenagers manage their anger, which is translated into Polish, Spanish, and Japanese, and unlock your creative genius. He's written other stuff too, uh, has a popular blog on psychology today, and he's co-authored on some other books. So highly recommend checking out his work if you're interested in this subject matter. Bernie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm really excited about this. This is the first episode that I've been done for a while. I took a break and you're the first up for a new season and I can do it then. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. We have a really, really interesting topic we're working on today. Um, I saw a blog post that you wrote about the silent treatment, which is a form of passive aggression. And I know you're an expert on anger and anger management. So I think this is a, a topic that most people will find interesting and find ways that they could examine it and see it, how it plays out in their own lives in one way or another. So I think it's a very, very interesting and important topic we'll be discussing. Before we delve into that, though, I, I like to take some time to get to know my guests a little bit. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about your personal background and how you became a psychologist and interested in this field. Sure. I uh, I think I was destined to be a psychologist as a child uh, in second grade. <laughs> I was concerned that no one was talking about feelings. Yeah, they weren't talking about feelings at home. They weren't talking about feelings in school, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but no discussion of feelings. And then uh, I also was very much concerned and interested in why do people behave the way they do. Uh, also, as a child, uh, wanting to please my parents, I was trying to figure out them. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom had some anxiety. My dad was depressed. And so I, I think uh, that's the beginnings of a psychologist trying to tease out and figure it all out. As a teenager, I read a lot of books on psychology. And uh, when I came to college and took that first course in, in psychology, 
that was it. Yeah. Uh, I was very convinced that I wanted to do that for my life work. Interesting enough, after the undergraduate program, I had a statement for graduate school. And I said, I want to, as a psychologist, spend some time working in psychiatric settings inpatient. I wanted to write. I wanted to teach and have a practice. And lo and behold, I'm, I'm very glad to have gone in that direction. Yeah. Well, you talked about people not talking about feeling so much when you were growing up and you noticed that. And I know that you have spent a lot of your career focusing in on anger uh, and anger management. So tell us a little bit about how that developed for you, your interest in that. Sure. Part of my concern about feelings was I recognized early on that I had some of my own issues about anger. One example I often give is that my brother and I were having a, a wrestling match. It was more of a fight, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he, so he pinned me down and uh, wanted me to say uncle. For a while, I refused. And then finally, I contained myself. I said uncle. I, the moment I stood up, I grabbed the shoe and threw it at him. But he had great reflexes. He ducked. And <laughs> the shoe went through a closed window, broke the glass. I was petrified because at the time we lived on the second floor, overlooking the entrance of the building. So I felt horrible that maybe someone was, yeah, the glass was dropping on them. So I uh, recognized I had to reel that in. And uh, so I was concerned about anger in that sense. Uh, my parents, they weren't like rageaholics at all, but they had lots of conflicts, like gnats picking on each other. So I had the interest there. In psychiatric settings, uh, as a psychologist, I put together classes. In the 70s, if you were in an inpatient setting, you were there often for two to three months, as opposed to now for two to three days. And so I had the opportunity to put classes together on anger, depression, and anxiety. Uh, then in the 70s, I gave uh, stress management workshops. And symptoms of stress involve anger, depression, anxiety, and physical symptoms. And then I chose to go in the uh, direction of anger because in one way, I had an interest in it, but also I recognized that if I was looking at research of all these articles, huge percentage was on depression, smaller on anxiety, but very little work had been done on anger, anger management. Hmm. I taught elementary school after undergraduate for six years. And I tell people that's where I learned all my ideas about anger management, yeah. mine as well as uh, the children, because I worked in the South Bronx for six years and it was very challenging. Yeah, it's interesting because for a lot of people, anger is one of the only emotions that they really understand and can identify and label. Of course, we know that people have very rich emotional internal processes, but you know, these days, especially for boys, I'm sure you see this a lot. They're they're taught a lot about having anger as the one and only emotion that they're sort of allowed to experience and feel and express, and they don't understand what's really underneath it. So I think this work on anger for helping people understanding what's going on there is just really vitally important work. In the terms of boys, there was a book written years ago called The Boy Real Men. And it was about the code that boys have about not being anxious, told not to be anxious. 
have mm-hmm. self-doubt, uh, and to be angry. Increasingly, though, that, like I said, the book was years ago. But if you contain those feelings, invariably, you're going to feel an inner tension that can often lead to anger. And when it's we're going through a phase where it's more sanctioned than it was previously, uh, so in that way, we feel anger rather than those uncomfortable feelings that trigger it. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get a little bit more into that because I know that underlies some of the stuff that you talk about and write about. And it's really, really interesting stuff. Uh, Particularly, we are talking today about passive aggression and also what you write about the silent treatment, which is sort of a form of that. And I'd like to delve into that a little bit. This is sort of obviously a slice of the anger picture, but one that I think really... um, it is interesting to explore more deeply. So first off, when you think of this concept of passive aggression, how do you kind of describe that and explain that as a phenomenon? Well, like you said, anger, uh, passive aggression is just one form of anger. And all of anger stems from a sense of threat to our emotional or physical well-being, uh, our resources, time, energy, emotional and physical energy as well as our financial situation and the people we love. So it's a sense of threat. And passive aggressive is sometimes is called the hidden form of anger. It was called the covert form. Mm. It's subtle versus being overtly aggressive. People walking by may not observe that it's anger because it's hidden. It may take time. For example, you go to a party and a couple you know, and there's a sarcastic statement made. Okay. That happens, but it's over time when you see it's happening frequently uh, and often. Passive aggressiveness can be conscious and unconscious. Uh, you might be irritated with your partner and, oh, I just forgot that birthday card. Okay. On the other hand, it could be very conscious. You know, I'm so annoyed. Forget that. I'm not going to celebrate that. So people intentionally choosing not to do something as a way of, of maybe punishing or or showing their anger as opposed to overtly expressing it. Exactly. It can be very intentional. A fellow at work years ago, he had been an executive assistant for five years. His supervisor suddenly died. He didn't like his job. That's a mild, <laughs> actually, in terms of he really was hated it. Mm-hmm. But when the supervisor came in, he would not share with her the oral history of the place because he hated the job. Uh, Passive aggressive kept him there. And that's often what passive aggressive does. It's It's a sense of paralysis. So even though he was angry, wanted to move on, he he didn't do that. Passive aggressive is indirect and certainly in relationships, personal or at work. It's very toxic. It undermines productivity at work. It undermines a sense of cohesive relationships at work. And certainly in a personal relationship, it is extremely debilitating. Well, it's interesting. In that example you just gave, he sounds like he was maybe just sort of generally angry at his work situation, and he was taking it out on his supervisor, his new supervisor, who presumably didn't have anything to do with his prior gripes about work. And I imagine she was probably confused about what was going on there with him. And often passive aggressive is 
aggression is a form of displacing our anger. We may yeah. direct toward a target, but it may be about so many other things. And the big part you just mentioned too is the lack of taking responsibility for the choices I make. You know, it's 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 her I don't like. It's it's the lady who passed away I don't like. So what do you do with that? And one form is one one resolution is passive aggression. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about silent treatment as a form of passive aggression. How does this look uh, in terms of the way somebody might manifest that? Sure. In a, in a general way, we we learn it from family. If observed in parents, you have the silent treatment modeling, or we could also be the target of silent treatment. So if, if at home we grew up with parents who were telling us, ignore your feelings. Mm. Or so we felt shame about feelings. We may avoid them. Silent treatment then involves way of expressing anger, often because I am really confused about my feelings. I'm overwhelmed by my feelings. It's a way of uh, dealing with lack of communication skills. I may not have the skills to express my feelings. Women often complain on it as a generalization, but it's, it's often true. My husband or boyfriend is not sharing his feelings. And I think there are three causes for that. When a, when a man says, no, I, I'm not going to talk or gives the silent treatment. There's, I know my feelings, but I'm angry, so I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Or I know my feeling, but I'm scared. I don't feel safe with you. So I'm not going to tell you. And then there's, I'm really not in touch with my feelings. I learned not to pay attention to them. So if you don't pay attention, you can't tease them out. Mm -hmm. And the tension of that confusion can lead to the anger. Right. Okay. So in some of the cases, the silence is because the person doesn't actually know how to communicate. But in some cases, the silence is a form of of sort of punishment and making the other person feel badly, I suppose, without actually overtly acting out against them. Right. It can be an intent to hurt them, mm -hmm. to demean them. So just help me out here with, with the silent treatment. When we talk about that, are we talking about literally just sort of shutting down and not communicating with another person? Or are we shutting down certain things that we don't want to communicate with them that they might want or need to hear, but it's being with, withheld. Like just for, if somebody's trying to understand, like if somebody's doing the silent treatment, what's that going to look like in my world? Sure. It could be on a continuum. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. But I'll talk about everything else. <laughs> on the other hand, it could be broader than that. I just give you, I will not talk to you. I will not acknowledge you in the room. I might avert my eye contact i won't look at you mm -hmm. uh, i saw a fella who his wife would uh, ignore him gave him the silent treatment and she wouldn't say good morning and it went on for months and at that point he was this clearly challenged with what do i do with that so there's the range of silent treatment from a, a completely ignoring not not talking about any, any content to more isolated yeah. Okay. So would that also include things like 
withholding love and affection? Is that sort of a form of silent treatment? Definitely. So it can involve silent treatment of any communication. So any form of physical intimacy can be another way of of communicating that anger indirectly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that could include like withholding sex, like I'm right. not going to have sex with my partner as a way of showing him or her how, how angry I am um, indirectly. And again, that could be conscious or unconscious. You know, I don't know. I just don't want to have sex with, with, with him or with her. And then not realizing that, yeah, the way you're being treated gets you angry. That's for some people who may not acknowledge their anger, then they withhold I see. So by unconscious, I'm, I'm assuming you mean kind of like um, they're not consciously saying I'm going to get that SOB by not having sex with him and make him pay. They they just on a mechanism underneath is just keeping them from doing that because they sort of know on an unconscious level that that's going to hurt him and maybe get him to do something I need him to do for me. Right. For example, uh, a woman does not feel validated or is demeaned in some conversations that is an ongoing or just happened a few hours ago. Now, how can I turn around and be physical with this person because I'm feeling hurt? They may acknowledge feeling hurt, but they may not recognize the anger. Kind of like what we were talking about before, that those deeper, more vulnerable emotions are not ones that people are often used to talking about or feeling or expressing. So it comes out in some form of anger. Right. I often say that physical intimacy is in so many ways, you want to be totally on, you want to be feel completely safe mm-hmm. and uh, you want to be unself-conscious. Uh, you don't want to have that tension of being self-conscious, self-aware to the extent of self-critical. And so how can I be that when I'm already feeling on guard? Right. And and physically, we don't feel safe. We constrict and shut down. What's it like for somebody to be on the receiving end of passive aggression? What kind of effects does that have on people? You know, when you think about it, validation, support, recognition is the glue of feeling connected. Silent treatment is the opposite. And so, and especially for people who we all want to be connected, and especially with a partner, when that happens, we may feel ostracized, self-esteem is reduced, especially if we already have questions about our self-esteem. We may feel uh, an increased temptation to act out aggressively, Mm. very often self-doubt. Instead of recognizing this person is being a jerk, (laughs) It must be me. I did something wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Or what did I do? I have no idea. And then a person might spend time obsessing about their contribution to this. And then what can I do to correct it? So clearly it's very debilitating. If a person has any shame, that is triggered. I'm a firm believer that when we have strong feelings as an adult, it revisits all kinds of issues we've had with strong feelings, like the time machine. So imagine a child who is wanting recognition and suddenly gets either silent treatment or even some some kind of either abuse or neglect that shuts down 
feeling connected. Fast forward, as an adult, silent treatment can have that same impact. Viscerally, it puts us into a state of threat. Fight, flight, freeze. So it pushes those old attachment buttons. Exactly, yeah. I'm this child who just desperately wants connection from my parents, my caregivers. It's being withheld. This is confusing for me. Why would they withhold it for me? Did I do something wrong? Is there something innately wrong with me as a person? I could see how that would be very confusing for a person. And if they carry that into their experience as an adult dealing with that, that must be very difficult. You know, especially like you say, if someone has, and we talk about what they call the attachment styles, if someone has an anxious attachment, uh, always concerned about being left, abandoned, rejected, uh, that gets triggered very quickly. The one you mentioned about the um, sort of an increased temptation to act aggressively toward the person who is giving the t- silent treatment. That's kind of interesting. I, I imagine, I, I wonder if that has something to do with like, I just need to get some kind of a response here. I'm not getting anything from this person. How do I elicit something from them? Is that kind of where that comes from? That as well as maybe that person that also does not know their feelings behind their anger. And so they're hurt. They're feeling rejected. They're feeling those feelings of shame. And so they burst out as a way of engaging the partner. Mm-hmm. And especially, again, if they've seen models of, of anger expressed in relationships, you feel connected, at least in the argument, in the anger versus the silence. And so, again, like I say, if they can't tease out and identify and be assertive about, you know, this is how I'm feeling when you do that. I can't read your mind. So let's suppose I'm the person who doesn't want to communicate with somebody else. And I've been learning in my therapy or I've been learning through the great podcasts I'm listening to that there's something called healthy disengagement. Sometimes you pull away from something because engaging, it's only going to make things worse. And you need to know when to set that boundary, pull back, reassess, and not get into a situation that's going to be make things worse. So how do you see the difference between like a healthy disengagement versus a silent treatment? A healthy disengagement involves talking about the anger rather than acting it out. And often I would encourage couples to agree to disagree. And what that means is a lot of therapists years ago said, do not go to bed angry. And they still do. Mm -hmm. My view is, no, if you're angry, you're angry. That's, That's your feeling. You can't just shut that off when you shut the lights off. But to talk about it and say, you know, right now, it's not going to be resolved. We'll, we will come back to it. You're agreeing to come back to it. And so healthy disengagement is saying, I may be feeling overwhelmed right now. I got to think on that. I need time. It might involve, ideally, this would be the best aspiration. I can't talk about that. Let's go watch that movie we were going to watch. On the other hand, I might need to go to the other room to just calm down. Healthy disengagement also might mean, I was reminded of this by an email I got regarding that post, 
a fellow who didn't speak to a, a sibling for 40 years. Mm. And healthy disengagement might mean that, you know, that person is so destructive to me. I do not feel safe. And I, uh, it, there's nothing constructive about our continuing a relationship. Even talking about it to that person, that would be the ideal of her assertive. Sometimes you may not, but it's, it's saying, you know, when I have to consider myself, it's not in my best interest. So then good disengagement isn't really stemming from a place of, of anger so much, but more a conscious decision that I need to back away from this. And if I can communicate the reasons why to the other person, even better. And often when they try to communicate that the other person is not available to hear or they continue the same behavior. And so I, for that kind of the extreme saying, okay, I have to end this relationship. Bernie, with some of my patients, one, one thing I do with them, like let's say in a couples therapy, and tell me if this would be an example of healthy disengagement in the um, situation of like a, a fight or an argument that's happening. One thing you often hear partners say is, you know, he starts walking away from me when we're yelling at each other and I can't stand it. And so I follow him and I follow him into the bedroom and then he goes into the bathroom and locks the door and I'm pounding on the door and and people who are in the heat of heat of the arguments oftentimes hate that. And so what I try to work with my patients with sometime is coming up with sort of like, I don't know, the rules of engagement. If I'm feeling unsafe, we're going to agree to take a timeout, but we're also going to agree that the timeout isn't a permanent timeout, but it's a de-escalation timeout. And then we'll come back together later when we've calmed down a little bit and talk about what happened. So there isn't sort of this open-ended I'm kind of rubbing you out here and just trying to escape and never talk to you. Like, would that be like the kind of technique one might use? Does that sound like that? Exactly. Exactly. Right. That that's the most constructive way of dealing with that kind of a, of a conflict. And even the language people are oh, we're having a fight. No, you're having a conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some differences of opinion, but definitely talking about it, recognizing that, and recognizing signs in in the partner that that person is agitated, but being able to say, I need time. That's really hard for people to do sometimes. Sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And one of the things that I always focus on with anger management is proactively learning skills to calm your body, to sit with the tension. Yeah. You're right. Very difficult. Right. That's always a big part of anger management is just paying attention to the physiology and how to manage that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the reasons um, why people relate to people with passive aggression and, and, and the silent treatment. We've already talked about this to some degree, but I'd like to dig into a few of them a little bit more and see what your thoughts are about them. Um, and you've talked you talked a little bit about sort of having a lack of self-awareness about what's going on the, on the inside. How would you help people recognize that that's what's going on for them and and how to kind of manage that to improve upon this if they come in for therapy <laughs> for example i, I did a, I, I ran a lot of classes on anger management and there are a lot of people who self-referred some referred by company often spouse or partner referred uh, passive aggressive might come in i don't know why i'm here mm-hmm uh, could you give me an example of when your partner says you're angry? No, I don't, I can't remember. I can't remember the details. 
And so I talk about the idea that what you might call not being angry for someone else might be very threatening. Mm -hmm. They feel safe. Even though you're used to a raised voice, they may experience you differently. Even though you walk away, you need to know if you're wanting to work on that relationship, whether at work or in the, or in the personal uh, relationship, you need to explore that. You better understand. And then I'll also talk about anger is about those other feelings. Some people grow up feeling much more comfortable with anger. Some much more comfortable with those feelings that trigger anger, like shame or feeling anxious, feeling confused, or, or even depressed. It sounds like maybe it's difficult to actually say, you know, I'm pretty angry about that. Mm. I'm pissed off about what you just did to me. And that keeps the person paralyzed from actually being candid and direct. That's really interesting, Bernie. So in those particular cases, it's maybe just a discomfort with overt anger. And so that's sort of pushed down, repressed or whatever, and then comes out in terms of this passive aggressive style. For the individual who um, is really doing it to control, to dominate, to harm the other the individual, the other person, uh, that certainly is much more challenging. We talk about much more traumatic issues that are contributing to that. And then we look at, okay, if I, again, if I see the person, <laughs> if that individual comes into treatment, then we could talk about what brought you here, what's going on, how a past relationship has been. Is it working? You know, be, behind all of the anger, behind these feelings, behind the passive aggressive, there's some core needs for connection. And some people want to shut those off. I don't need that. So, and what are you controlling for? Well, I want to get that person to do what I want. So that, and I use a lot of so that, and then, and then to help. Eventually, the goal would be to identify what are your core values? What's important to you beyond controlling someone? The reality is that when we spend time trying to control someone, we are losing control. I look at it as the more we're angry at someone or something, we take away some of our own agency. We start thinking if it's only, if they would only behave the way I want, my life would be happier. If they would only do this, that they would do that. And then we look, we miss opportunities to create for ourselves a more fulfilling life. Yeah. So, uh, having a greater awareness of what's going on inside, that seems like a key part. And then I imagine communicating those thoughts and feelings in a constructive way are, is also difficult for some people. So they probably go hand in hand. How do you help people learn how to do that? I start sometimes by having them write a letter to the person. And I, I say, write down, not a 30-page letter, not, not a one-paragraph. <laughs> Basically, what is it you want that person to know that you don't think they know about you? What is it you need or want? And uh, what is it you'd like them to do? It's one thing to say, you don't know this about me. I'm hurting. And then not express specifically, what is it you'd like me to do? 
Some people will eventually do that, write that letter. Uh, I ask them some to go a step further. Knowing that person, I want you to make up a letter that they would write back to you, responding. And sometimes they realize that, you know, that person is just not available to meet my need. Or they say, you know, I just have never told them what I want. And just that is the beginning of an exercise. Uh, one fellow who came to me, he said, you know, he was early 30s. I spent time with my mother. I still am so angry about the way she treated me as a child. But I go there, I smile, I hold the anger in. And he admitted there were times I'm passive aggressive with her. I'll come late. He recognized that. And so we talk about an assertiveness model, you know, Mom, I want to improve our relationship, and I need to share some things I've never shared with you. It's not an attempt to hurt you. It's an attempt for me to feel more comfortable. And so he said, you know, when you did this, I felt hurt. I felt ignored, rejected. When I felt that, I felt angry at you, and that impacts our relationship now. I'd like you to do this instead. He came back to me. He yelled at me, why'd you tell me to do that? Uh -huh. She started crying. She was uh -huh. feeling horrible and could not hear the message. And I said, based on what you've shared, go back, remind her, mom, I feel bad that you're feeling guilty. That That's something I want. You're going to need to work on that if you want. I want to improve our relationship. They continued to give that message. And uh, almost two months later, she was no longer crying and focusing on the guilt. She was able to say, I'm sorry, that happened. And she's more attentive when he when he was visiting. So it's a gradually helping them to be more authentic, to feeling more accepting of their own feelings, to be self-compassionate that they deserve to have those needs, uh, those, those issues addressed. Yeah, so that's a great example. And it's one that ultimately sounds like it turned out well. There was a good outcome. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's also important to sort of remember that a person can use all of the great communication skills that they learn and still not get an outcome that they might want, right? Because you, you can't control the, re the reaction or the response of the other person. But I'm guessing that just learning how to do that and trying from your own end helps you be a more authentic person, whether or not the outcome is what you'd like in, in any specific situation. I share that caveat with everyone. So a client of mine said, well, I've, I've been assertive. I've shared. I said, well, I encourage you to realize that your partner may not be available to hear you. But I think it's more important so you're not staying in depression that at least you say out loud what it is you need, that you're in touch with your with with those core values, with your needs, and you're going to feel more positive self-esteem. Yeah, it's going to be disappointing. And then you get to decide what you want to do about it. Passive aggressive and anger in general very often is the paralysis of not deciding. People can stay in anger and not move on or not decide, do I want to stay with this person or not? Or major decisions of buying a house, having children, staying in anger. We can just keep put it all on hold. But I do give that 
that warning of those yeah. terms of expectations, what's realistic, what's unrealistic. And also unpredictable, right? Exactly. Because you don't always know. Yeah. When you work with patients who have a passive aggressive style and you kind of, you figure out with them that there's an element of punishment going on there that I'm actually doing this because I want that person to feel bad or I'm, you know, I, I want to punish them by withholding love and affection and communication. How do you work with people on that factor? The I want to punish them. I, I, I will look at what are they feeling that makes you want to punish them, get them to talk about some form of hurt, take up the old feelings list. Okay, hurt. What kind of hurt? Are you feeling ignored, feeling rejected? Emphasize that by labeling our feelings, we feel our attention diminishes just by labeling feelings. Yeah. Some of them can't. And I said, this is going to take practice to really tease out what you're feeling. With anger, when I'm working with clients, I had them do a log. And many don't do it, but they'll do it in their head. I, <laughs> the more they practice, though, they get aware of those feelings that trigger the anger, that move them into anger. And so I'll, I'll encourage them to do that. And where did you learn to handle it this way? There's usually some kind of modeling there coming from someplace about the way to handle feelings. Yeah. Exactly. And also in a very powerful degree, I, I'm focusing a lot increasingly, and we, a lot of psychologists are on our physiology. So the capacity for self-soothing as a child is impacted by how parents treat us, siblings as well. And so what strategies for self-soothing did you learn? Let's flip this a little bit and talk about what it's like to be the person on the receiving end of silent treatment and other forms of passive aggression. And what do you do if you're in that situation? How do you manage that and address it? Any pointers? Yeah, uh, I emphasize that one. I want to hear what what does that how does that make you feel? <laughs> great, great therapist question. <laughs> right, uh, traditional. And I try to help them identify those specific feelings involved. And then I ask them, okay, so how long has it been going on? What are you doing when she does that or he does that? And what triggers? the most difficult feelings for you. And I do emphasize as well, is this just in this relationship or has this happened in past relationships? Mm. When you say you feel shame or, or self-doubt, long before you met this person, were you prone to self-doubt? Sometimes I see people who say, you know, without a relationship, I'm fine. I'm doing fine in my life. And yes, to use the psychology term, we regress in relationships, meaning that feelings from the past, we start acting on them as if that person in front of us is a significant other from past closest that we had. And so I'll help the person look at what is meeting their needs? What is uh, what is an act of self-compassion? And think sometimes self-compassion that's you meaning selfishness no no self-compassion is caring for yourself recognizing that you deserve to be treated in a humane way that you're that you have a range of feelings that 
you deserve to be treated well. So I'll work on a lot on that sense of deserving to be treated well. Uh, I really encourage a person not to uh, isolate. So all too often, the person who is the target of that kind of passive aggressive, they're feeling shame, self-doubt. They don't want to talk to anyone about it. They don't want to even make a complaint because they want to make this person, they have a lot of dependency on this person to care. And so they don't even want to complain about that person. I say, stay in touch with close friends, stay in touch with family. So you have at least some feedback. So how do you work with somebody who's feeling like very badly, maybe the shame buttons are getting pushed about the way that they're being treated and it's hard for them not to feel responsible because the other person's maybe sulking, uh, not talking, and the person's really feeling like, geez, you know, I'm such a bad person. I've, I've made my partner so upset and distressed that he or she is shutting down and won't talk to me and it's all my fault. Where do you go with that? I'll emphasize there's a difference between maybe you said it's something that hurt your partner's feelings. How they handle their feelings is totally up to them. Mm. You have no control how they handle their feelings. You can ask, you can make a request, you can try to persuade, you can bribe, but uh, you're not responsible for for how he is sulking or how he's dealing with feeling bad. He could come back to you and say, you know, when you did that, I was feeling hurt. I was feeling adored. How he handles it is separate from you and you're not to blame for that. They might say, yes, I am. <laughs> and I'll have to talk about, okay, so when someone hurts you, do you are you blaming other people? And see what they say about attribution. How do they attribute responsibility for feelings, their own, in, in fact, feeling yeah. hurt? I suppose you wouldn't advocate the communication technique, like you made me so upset or angry and you you made me this and you made me that. Would that sort of not be the greatest way to communicate? I emphasize the I statements exactly that when you did this particular behavior, I felt hurt. And I say emphasize the feeling behind the anger first. Don't say I felt angry because people are so scared by that word anger. They're so associated with aggression. So I'll say, when you did this, I felt hurt, ignored, rejected. And when I hurt, feel hurt or rejected, I sometimes feel, and then I say, as much as I'm focused on being authentic, the word anger might be too intense if you've not gradually introduced it into your conversations. So you may say, I felt intensely annoyed, <laughs> irritated, <laughs> until you can have conversations like that without both people's bodies getting agitated, and then you can introduce the word angry. Well, not only that, you know, I think one can be authentic because anger is usually not occurring in a vacuum, right? There's usually going to be at least more than more than one emotion going on with anger. So one could choose to focus on the other ones um, and address them if, if, if anger is, is a little too hot of a topic to discuss at that time. 
right? But on the other side of the equation, talking about vulnerable feelings is really difficult for people too sometimes. Like I know I've had many, many occasions where patients just, you know, it's really scary for them to talk about any other emotion that they're feeling that's more vulnerable than anger. That's a difficult for some people. Oh, for a lot of people, definitely. And uh, I often say that if you try to ignore even one feeling, it doesn't work that way mm. because you're spending a lot of energy that will then ignore other feelings. And uh, part of being human is, and the most relaxed we can be in our bodies to feel safe with our own self-talk about feelings. You know, being human is having this range of feelings. Some are comfortable, some aren't. And they make perfect sense when we're feeling them. Perfect sense considering our unique history. So why is it important if you're on the receiving end of a passive aggressive dynamic, why is it important to identify whether the experience is, uh, represents a pattern of behavior for the other person? You had mentioned that before, kind of recognizing is this a, an ongoing thing, is a pattern? Like, why would that be important to acknowledge? Well, it helps explain the intensity of their feeling. If I'm feeling intense shame, then I'm motivated to get that person to speak to me to help reduce the anxiety associated with that shame. Mm. If I'm feeling intense rejection, I, I, I'm just overwhelmed by rejection. I have to, again, the urgency to have that person be there for me. I often use the word parentize to describe how in a relationship we may parentize a partner. Mm. That way we're looking for something that maybe we longed for in the past, be protected, be recognized, be validated. And in those moments, if we have lacked that in the past, we may parentize even more that partner. Or if in the ongoing nature of the relationship, we parentize that person. And by parentizing, we, we lose. It's one thing to take turns saying out loud, okay, I'll take care of this for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide this. We'll, uh, we'll take turns. But if we, in a pattern, parentize a partner, that means we're infantilizing ourselves. Mm. And once we do that, there's a disparity in the relationship that's going to impact the ability to feel equal and uh, have open communication. Well, that's really interesting, Bernie. And it reminds me of something. I don't know if this is related, but please tell me your thoughts. It reminds me of something that I hear a lot from patients and it, particularly men. It can happen with women too, but I hear this a lot with men where they often complain that they don't get a whole lot of positive validation from their partners. You know, they just want some acknowledgement. Could I just have a little acknowledgement that I'm doing something right? I have some value to you. Uh, I, you know, I never get any gratitude. I just get complaining and nagging. There's no positivity there. And I always think like, well, you know, if they were raised, especially if they were raised even with really healthy parents, they probably got a fair amount of validation. Oh, good job, Johnny. Good job, Bernie. You know, you did really well on that. We're proud of you, whatever. I mean, parents often validate their kids. And then in a relationship, this isn't occurring. And it can feel bad sometimes. I, I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm, I'm sure you probably do too. Where do you go with something like that? 
I want to hear the response of the partner <laughs> uh, to know, are they available? They may be with a partner who is uh, either withholding or or not. We we have a tendency, I, I like uh, Rick Hansen's expression of where sometimes Velcro for negativity and Teflon for positivity. <laughs> some people just are, are, are not able to give the positive statements because maybe they, they, they didn't get them, they're on guard. So I wanna hear the partner's response to that. Are they available? The language of love. Someone can be very open in their expression of caring, others can't. So I want them to talk about it. If I was doing couples therapy, I want to know what keeps you, what gets in the way of your, he's saying he loves you. He wants to hear this from you. Well, oftentimes what you'll hear, Bernie, when, when that comes up is, well, why does he need me to tell him all the time? Can he tell that I, I love him because I'm doing X, Y, and Z and I'm, you know, I'm doing the dishes, I'm working and I'm doing all of these things. Like you need me to actually tell you that. But then the person says, well, that's all I need is three words. And, um, and, I, and, and, and I'm not getting that. And I feel so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're on different tracks. One is saying, uh, I do these things, these tasks. I'm active in house management. I do this for you, they may even say. But the other person right. here needing to hear the words. And that's clearly a, a conflict. And the other part is person saying, okay, you're saying he shouldn't need it. He's saying, it makes me feel good. So what gets in the way of your doing that? Well, is that a form of passive aggression? By not, not doing it when the other person is saying that they want or need more of that and the first person saying, well, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't want to. It's not in my repertoire and um, I don't think I should have to. Definitely. Within reason, we want this compromise in a relationship. And within reason, we want to please a partner as part of that loving relationship. Yeah. So something like that. You know, if on the other hand, if you really love me, you'll go to the store and get that another bottle of vodka. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so like I say, within reason. So something is it is for a form of passive aggressive to not want to do what your loving partner would like to do. So again, then it becomes a question of digging a little deeper and exploring what's going on an emotional level there. And why is that person feeling so resistant to wanting to give the other partner what they're asking for, if it's a reasonable type of request? Right. I, years ago, I had a client who, he came in because he had been aggressive with his wife, not, not hitting her, but throws a, a cardboard box at her. I never, and uh, she was angry with him and began withholding physical intimacy for a, a long time. And, uh, and I got to realize, and I, I, I expected that she had had a long history about being physically abused by men. And uh, she said to him, I want you to get me a little gift Every day, card, something. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't want to do it. She, she shouldn't need that, but she's asking for it. I said, do an experiment. Do it for a month and see what happens. 
And he did it for a month. He didn't change. But at least he felt like, okay, it helped him in deciding more what to do about the relationship to help him realize here he is with these expectations that she's going to change. And I've been withholding what she's wanting. But even when I follow through with her request, it didn't work. Yeah, that's so that's a really good point. So in other words, be very consciously aware of what's going on and make decisions to be the best version of you you can be. And then that's the best way to sort of determine whether or not the other person sort of has valid complaints about about you or if there this is more going on within them. Right. We could either react to our feelings, including the hurt and the anger, or we could respond. And by responding, we're, we're doing, we're taking the pause. And like you, like you described, you could be the best person because it's good for me to feel good about being the best person. I feel whole. Well, Bernie, this has been a really interesting and valuable conversation about passive aggression and the silent treatment. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you about it. I think there's loads of interesting information here about what goes on with people and prompts them to behave in this way and how people react on both the, on the giving and the receiving end of it. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts on this topic you'd like to discuss or leave us with today. Yeah. In terms of, uh, let's say well, for both, it's to but more, more especially for the person who's the target, is to try to identify what your core values are. And core values might be, I like to help people. Uh, I want to be more authentic. I enjoy spending time with family and friends. And uh, being aware of those core values and how are those challenged in the relationship or thwarted. The more you run away from your core values, you're going to have a lot of stress. So identifying core values is important. And for both, cultivating uh, emotional intelligence. Mm. My understanding of my feelings, what feelings trigger anger, what ways can I self-soothe to calm myself, to regulate my emotion. And uh, increasingly, I focus a lot on strategies for self-compassion including mindfulness, that when we could become increasingly attentive to our experience of feelings, that's when we could pause to think through what, what do we want to do? And part of self-compassion is asking that question, what's in my best interest? Whispering in our own ear, what's in my best interest? What's the point where you'd recommend somebody seek some professional help or guidance on this? When that passive aggressive is meant to is meant to harm, to, to to abuse, to devalue, to demean, and they're feeling so overwhelmed by it, and they are wanting to do something about it, then speak to friends if they really feel comfortable with that, or family, or professional uh, services. Also, there are agencies that are involved with whether it's domestic abuse, things like that, they should definitely contact. They should know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. People go through this and it's a very difficult situation. And the situation itself only makes the person feel more alone and, and the conclusions they make about it make them feel more isolated. Yeah. 
And real quick, I introduced at the beginning the intro of the show about some of the books that you've written that are um, very popular books. If, if somebody was particularly interested in sort of exploring these issues of emotions and how they relate to anger and passive aggression, is there a particular book of yours that you'd recommend? The uh, one, Overcoming Destructive Anger Strategies That Work. Okay. I imagine that's available on amazon.com and all the normal places. Right. Well, wonderful. Well, Bernie, it's been so great speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and passion for this subject. And I've really enjoyed having you here as a guest. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to, to share. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, please go to my website, www.waikikihealth.com. Please be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks Podcast and accompanying blog to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please be sure to follow Mind Tricks on Facebook by following and liking posts by myself, your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.